Welcome, adventurers. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon. Alright, so, let me see what to say. What should I say? Welcome. <laughs> I'll do that part later. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, so here we are, the end of season four. That is three seasons in quarantine with COVID. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> uh, there you go. So uh, back for some more questions on season four. Uh, again, joining me is my lovely wife uh, on this crazy journey. No, there's more than just questions about season four. <laughs> oh, no. There's questions about life and life. Life and life and more life. Wow. There you go. Buckle your seatbelt. This might be rough. Well, the first thing that I wanted to talk about, though, was that this season was so emotional. So emotional. Every story just seemed to have just really deep, deep pits of wells of emotion. And I just was wondering, are you finding that the more... Well, two things. It was more emotional. And then also the stories were getting longer and longer <laughs> and longer. And yes. I'm just wondering if as you're going through this journey as a writer, are you finding that it's harder to wrap up these stories? Or was there a particular reason why this season was so emotionally intense? Or huh. I never thought of it. I mean, the, the Colborn story is one that was a sad story. So I... I that was always going to be a sad story. Would you? I guess in the or uh, or and snare that it's not. I would say Orteval's story is emotional, though. I mean, going back home and the angst that we sometimes yeah. feel when we go back home, and I guess it's just what interests me is the emotion. So if snare and Orteval, I mean, they're both kind of their own version of broken, I think, and so that's what led to that. Um, yeah. And then the last one, I think, is creepy more than emotional. I don't know. I think it's also emotional, though, because I think that Esmeri comes to a point where she is right. hitting the depths of right. what she is willing to do Correct. for the thing that she's longed for her entire life. And to me personally, that's that was a very yeah. touching emotion. I'm not talking like weepy emotion, but right. like that. That soul-wrenching, yeah. what are we willing to do for the things that we sure. truly, truly desire? I don't know. Maybe it's being in <laughs> quarantine, quarantine too long. It's hard Daddy, to say. Or it's just more that's what I'm interested in, I guess, writing. Uh, I mean, that's what stories are, I guess, in their own right, right? Is telling, telling a story that someone should be interested in. And I guess right now that's what interests me, I guess, is kind of... And with the stories getting longer, are you finding that it's harder? Are you finding it harder to end stories and pick them up? Like you just want to stay in that story and keep finishing through to the <laughs> end instead of putting it down and going, I'm putting a pin in this and coming back to it later. No, no, I just want to finish this. I guess as we get closer, and I don't know what closer is, but like, so now I've. <laughs> <laughs> closer to, yeah. I have, you know, kind of outlined the remainder, maybe with it outlined i guess maybe there is some panic with just making sure that enough of the story was told because i can guarantee when i've done it it's not like every last moment of every last thing will have been told so mm -hmm. it is a situation where i'm hoping that i cover enough 
information between now and kind of the conclusion of of this kind of arc that that I did cover enough for people to be happy or maybe you know arc 2 has something to do with if there is an arc 2 it has something to do with you know going back and following threads that weren't followed before or telling them a different way mm-hmm. so yeah I don't know as far as finishing stories I don't, it seems to be the ones that drag on absorbently longer the ones that are prompts from other people like this last you can't answer that yet that's oh, okay. a question for oh. later in the, oh. later in the interview <laughs> alright no comment unless, unless you want to talk about it now no no no, no please I'll, you, I'll, I'll wait for the okay. for the gracious interview alright thank you I appreciate <laughs> right. that um, so in forty uh, episode 49 and 50 what makes a home yeah. um, it opens with Colborn learning or, or trying to learn or practicing uh, summoning magic uh-huh. and where did he pick that up where, where does that interest come from and is that something that's going to pop up later is that going to be a skill that we're going to yeah, see absolutely. him use right so Colborn uh, as far as D&D is concerned is a wizard class character and so this story is obviously kind of the beginning of a story and why he became an adventurer. As I wrote that backstory, it was kind of putting a thread of him already being interested in magic. And then as he becomes, um, as he be- moves into it, he's a wizard. So we see him in other stories use a sleep spell several times, putting people to sleep. He also, this is a long time ago, but in this, when, the, when he first met Mela, he he was flying above the town, so he he's you know he said I saw you because they were running through the alleys, uh, and to me with Colborn having uh, not use of his legs, I feel like later on down the road he learns to fly. I just, <laughs> there's this weird image of, of him like being free and kind of like taking a night uh, fly mm-hmm. th- fly through the night to 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 be free. Escape so, his legs. Yeah. Yeah, Not necessarily sense. escape them, but yeah, but yes, just have a different experience or enjoy enjoy the full extent of his powers and abilities. So yes, he is becoming a wizard. He is already a wizard when he meets Esmeray, and as far as D and D goes, that would be he's a weird wizard class part of the party he casts. Uh, it's funny that you talk about being a wizard class. Like I, whenever I think about people playing D and D, and you have yeah. a character, I think you just are a wizard, like. I never think of someone becoming and learning and right. acquiring that skill of magic or... Well, and you really are. Or... From a game standpoint, you just are a wizard, right? You would start and you're a wizard, right? right? But so this, again, again, it's made popular by the more storytelling kind of podcasts. Or not podcasts, but I mean the big one's Critical Role and they're, they're all the actors. But So they build a story. As part of the story, all those characters have done work on where did they come from, mm-hmm. right? So... And I talked, I think, a little bit last week, is, yeah, you're not always a thing, right? You had to have learned it, so this is what you were before you became an adventurer. And then then you're on the, you're you're into D&D. Before you were an adventurer, you were a normal person. (laughs) Exactly. Mm. Um, And that story, I mean, continuing on with what makes a home, when there's just the gut-wrenching loss of Gisley and Tova. Yeah. You mentioned at the conclusion of that story mm-hmm. um, that so many storytellers have talked about, you know, a hero is only 
only goes out into the world after something tragic happens. And, and this is something we quite often mock when we watch Disney movies. <laughs> Does Disney not know no, how to story. make a movie that someone doesn't die in? And, and I think there's a lot of discussion about it being a toxic trope, too, that that's the only reason men would go, men specifically would go adventuring oh, is because a, a loss of, of some reason, right? And that they the only way they can express emotion is by doing whatever so uh i i think about it like i've read about things like that where these these hurtful moments also have the possibility to be not the best storytelling and i've yeah i i still think about that a lot and don't want that to be the extent of my writing that it's just loss and avenging loss um but yeah so do you feel like there, from a from a writer's point of view and a storyteller's point of view, mm-hmm. that there is the possibility to have a hero that goes on heroic adventures that doesn't have that pushing behind? Yeah, him? absolutely. And, and I, I, I think I think we will get to. We'll see. I think this season there is a story that will be of a much more happy upbringing, and it was just oh, thank God, someone <laughs> someone trying to always be driven by what's right like a call to to defend or to raise up right so i think i think there are plenty of stories it, and it's really the extent of imagination if i can't write it then i'm a broken person by not being able to write some story where there's a happy reason uh i think if you sat down and gave it some time or some moment or if i was given that prompt that there is and i think in some ways what's the definition of hero i think when we see hesed from season three mm-hmm. really change or affect snare in his this path, like or or encounter him in a snap, then then Hesed was her own sort of hero as well. It's mm-hmm. just a smaller piece of a smaller part, right? And she was just a day to day folk that loved her people and village and father and mm-hmm. so. <laughs> um. I didn't have much to ask you about restless spirits. Yeah. However, I did want to know. How did you come to deciding that he was going to be adopted? That, that he was an adopted individual into his family? I just think there needs to be more stories that represent more people. And I, I just... I don't know. It's hard to tell how some things happen. Like, I sit with them and sit with the character and go, who are you, kind of? Or, what? you know, why, why did you get to be who you are? And when I thought about Orteval this just this idea of a restless spirit or someone that was just never quite comfortable in their own shoes uh came to me and and i think the adoption doesn't i mean i know people that aren't adopted that have enough struggles in their own lives and don't want to go home and have problems with their family Uh, your wife yeah but to me, the that adopted part was just it's just telling a story about a character. The fact that he's adopted was just who he is. Like to me, it's not it's not like trying to be in your face or anything. It's just Orteval is adopted, right? So it's just his life. And in fact, I think some of his awkwardness comes from the fact that he just never felt like he fit in, right? And and, and I I don't know if I wrote it as well, but my my intent in that story was his parents always loved him. He just didn't want to be. Joe Schmo in a, in a podunk town and you know it's part of his own struggles I feel like mm-hmm. um, so his job his adoption is just 
a fact of life. I don't. There wasn't any overwhelming like need for him to be adopted or not adopted. I just when I sat with Ortval and thought about him and stuff, I it some came to me and realized that that's who that character is was. So yeah, yeah. The next question is not deep at all. <laughs> Great, but. I'm very curious when you are writing stories, and we've talked before about sure. how you come up with the fictitious names that are all of the wonderful, beautiful places <laughs> in, right. in your your crazy land. Yeah. Um, but in the story of Restless Spirit, you mentioned sweet potato mash uh-huh. at Dagmar's. Yeah. It was something that he's, he smelled cinnamon. Sure. Who's the oh? The, it's yeah. My dad's sweet potato mash. Right. And I don't know why, but when I was listening to it, I was like, how do you decide what elements from the mundane world come into the fantasy world? Just naturally world? come into the fantasy Of course, we have sweet yeah. potatoes here, but we also do magic. Like, what? Sure. So, how do you decide what, what, comes, well, what I mean, crosses that without, without crossing the line of, like, presumptively that people eat, right? Like, you, like, as soon as you've accepted that people eat, there has to be food, right? And as soon as there's food, then there's the decision, like, is it good food or bad food? But part of that, too, was just the nod to that the town of Ubato being this, like, just podunk truck stop town. And I've I've had the experience of, like, if you remember Carlos's Country Kitchen. Yes! Or you, <laughs> yes! You go to these, like, podunk diners that just serve amazing food or mm-hmm. mass amounts of food or have these, like, I don't know, down-home experiences. And so... To me, to me, actually, the food is like a settling point of who his parents were, were these people that just were very comfortable doing what they did. And his, his father, adopted father, is a cook, and he likes to cook and makes this amazing, like, to me, it's just truck stop fatty food. Like, so, when I, when I imagine Ubato being like a truck stop, then this, this diner that his parents run... If there's going to be things in the world, they might as well, you know, again, it kind of follows that if there's food, then people are going to have a food they like, and and once there's a food you like, then you can make up whatever you want. I could have said, you know, squirtling guts, but, like, if I said squirtling guts, I have to then explain what's the importance of squirtling guts and why do they matter, but, like, if you just do something as simple as, like, a sweet potato, then, then somebody can identify with that. It, it, I think it makes... It immediately I, it immediately rings that little bell inside of you that right. that just makes you have all of those emotions without you having to conjure them for right. us. Yeah, and how much right? How much world building do you want to do around a diner? Right. The point is, it's a diner. Obviously, a lot. <laughs> the point is, if that's a book, you can write the book on the diner. You could the diner at the end of the universe. That that's should it. be your next thing. You should write a cookbook. Dag, Dagmar's I think cookbook. The, I think they already have. From Ubato. <laughs> from Ubato. They already have <laughs> gut sticking food from the oh, fantasy realm. <laughs> gross. Um, the popping over to Snare is part of that. Story. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually questioned you a little bit of this before we started yeah. recording, but the seal on the chest that Snare right. broke into yep. was three falcon wings spread. Three falcons with their wings spread, yeah. Three falcons with their wings spread. Yeah. And that popped in my brain uh-huh. later when I was listening to a different story. Yep. Um, is that not the crest of the Del Fiore? <laughs> it is the Del Fiore. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so. So whose treasure was that? It was just, was to that? me, to me, it was a random Easter egg. 
and it was just uh yeah it is complete a complete easter egg it is a super non sequitur uh the del fiores are a super pro- i would like to say i'm so proud of myself <laughs> for getting an easter egg that you did not even have to tell me clues to yeah absolutely so yeah there's a few little tidbits tucked in my stories they're pretty minimal but i just I thought it would be an irony that Snare winds up going to work for the house that he's robbing. You know what I mean? And so, to me, it was just a little nugget to put in there to have have him robbing the house. And they're so powerful. They got money coming and going all over the place. So, him robbing <laughs> robbing something that turned out to be their financial transition was just... I Just as I was like, when he's robbing it, I was like, oh, you know, it would be funny. So, and I just put that in. But yeah, not of super relevance, but yeah, definitely an Easter egg. So that that robbery is not going to come back and haunt him or bite him in the butt at some other point in the story? Uh, not at this point, yeah, no. Not at this point. Well, yeah, but, you know, I, don't, I don't have any knowledge. I don't have any other worldly knowledge that's uh, informed me that's valuable yet. Got it. Um, in Dance of the Marionette, episodes 55, yep. 56. 57. Oh my god, they're getting longer. Um, how much longer until we start to get some stronger clues about Roth's master, who we all know Roth's master is at this point, but how much longer until we start to see like a true like one-on-one connection of where, where that story is going? Like what what is Rot doing? Why? Why is he there will be digging for the lineage? There will be answers to that this season in one of the stories, yeah. So, uh, you can tell, I mean, in a, two of the stories, right, Rot is manipulating, um, basically, Alarian to go on this quest, and I've done my best to kind of paint Alarian as an incompetent, sort of, he's not an overly, a good job. An, an overly experienced person, uh, yeah, there'll be answers, more answers to that this season. It has to do with who Alarian is and who he's related to um, more than it has to do with anything else and why they specifically need Alarian. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be Alarian, and there'll be more explanation to why it has to be Alarian. Mm-hmm. There, there are a few very, right <laughs> very, very small clues have been dropped so far, but yeah. There'll, there'll be another story, which hopefully starts to ring a few more bells. Uh, and then the last story of the season, mm-hmm. um, which you had already started talking about earlier in our interview. Hey, I'm sorry, I guess. That is I got okay. Of <laughs> um, so, obviously, the stories that you've written, even, I mean, this season and in past seasons, when you write them for patrons' prompts, yeah. which is a really fun and amazing experience to watch both of you writing and <sighs> then hearing. Right hearing the process when you're writing it and then also hearing right. what the end result is, is always really, truly amazing for me. Right. And I just am curious why those tend to be so much longer. Why those, you have such a hard time wrapping those ones up. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like, uh, I also feel bad for Carolyn, who was my first natural 20 tier patron. And I wrote her story, uh, that she requested, but it was the first season and I was still very much stuck on, two episode arcs and in fact i basically hers started i'm like oh this is going to be too long and hers 
I wrote the beginning and then I'm like, I gotta write the end. And then I wrote the end and then basically figured out how much room I had left to squeeze Just in between. Squash some jelly yeah, between but the two pieces that of bread. <laughs> easily would have been a three or four story arc as well if I had already allowed myself to. So personally I'm apologizing to Carolyn right now. I'm sorry for not writing as long a story. Uh but you know, this season actually all three of my Nat twenty tier patrons had a story, so she might be up again. We'll see what happens. Uh but I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I don't, maybe it's like when you get a hold of somebody else's uh, prompt or something, you just want to do it justice. And so their stories, it, well, I guess what's weird about them is like, I have what the story is and I'm always answering the question why. And then I get these prompts from my patrons that are like, what about this or what about this? And then I'm like, oh my god, that's the reason why, like, so there, it's like this external uh, voice or answer that comes and gives me, gives, it's somebody else answering why or giving me a prompt that my brain's like, that's why, and so. Well, that, that actually leads me to my next question, which was, you had mentioned earlier in one of our sure. dinner time discussions, uh, which, you know, this, people, this is all we talk about all day long, every day, is Tales from the Dungeon. <laughs> Uh, but you had talked about yeah. how you really enjoyed writing this story because it gave you the answer to why Esmeray had this it's, it's, infinite yes. age. It gave it gave me it gave me the method to do what was already going to be done. Sure. It was, yeah, it explained. So my question for you though yeah. is: Were you worried before that point that you didn't have a no, method I didn't. or an answer? Before that, or? I didn't know I was going to write a specific story about it. And then the, the prompt came, and I'm like, oh, this is the specific story that explains it. And I think it's, in 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 most cases, they become necessary parts of a story. Like, the, the, the first story is a necessary part. And what's funny is this third story, this third patron story, and that first one tie together, as, they, as the first story was about getting tricked into... Um, Killing this ogre, uh, yeah, was it the cyclops, the cyclops, right? Cyclops, and and yeah. and and rot was involved there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so <clears throat> that first story and this third story actually kind of build on each other, and and uh, but are both necessary to the greater story. And I also feel Hesed will come back uh, as influential in the story. Yeah. So I don't. All three of those stories have become integral parts of what is going to happen and it's like i said it's somebody else has given energy and it's fit into the already existing arc and hesed's story i may have never written but i think it's a great story and i think now that it's written the influence of it is going to be significant and this story i may have not written but i think it's a a great compliment and answers answers questions of you know, it, otherwise it would have been an AC story, right? You would have seen, oh yeah, this and this is what happened. Um, but this kind of gave you that that breaking point, that moment you, you discussed where Esmeray tips the boat. And it's not a question anymore. This is the madness she's going to follow mm-hmm. and, and does what she does. So, mm-hmm. But so, I don't know. This one was fun. Part of this, too, was just writing, I guess, writing in kind of what I consider kind of a gothic horror-y style was something I've never really considered before, but so this is the first time I've ever tried to write creepy, and I enjoyed it. <laughs> and, and I think to, to the detriment of that story going probably a little longer than it needed to, uh, but yeah, I enjoyed 
Thanks, Todd. <laughs> I enjoyed Todd being my other natural 20-tier patron who uh, picked the prompt for this story. But yeah, I enjoyed the creepy factor. And so it was it was enjoyable to get both an Easter egg for Todd into the story, into the second to last episode, and then the, just a culmination uh, episode with her in the tower and the creepy spirit uh, in there. Mm-hmm. It was fun to write, I think. I don't know. It was enjoyable. Yeah. I hope I hope six is too many. I apologize to all my listeners. It's too many. It's too many. It's too many. I was building a website in the middle of there and so it didn't allow me to kind of go, hey, that's too long and turn around. So it was the problem was, you know, writing some episodes and then writing more episodes. But the point of no return. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Uh but speaking of your website, actually I wanted yep. to end with just saying I have really appreciated the things that you've put out for your patrons this season. Yep. The extras have been really awesome. Right. Tell us about your map making. <laughs> it's really cool. Some some family member uh, purchased Incarnate, which if you're in the fantasy realm, you probably have heard of it. If not, you could look it up real quick. But it just allows uh, you to make fantasy maps that look very more artsy than I would be able to. As my patrons have seen, I released a hand-drawn piece that I scribbled on some graph paper, and then the map I was able to make with a computer. There is a vast difference, I would say. So, uh, What it has allowed me to do is finally make a map of the Barata province and its environs. Uh, I think everything that's been in a story is covered on that map. Um, and so it's just cool, and that's just... I love fantasy maps from all my heart, and from when I used to read books and still do... I love the maps, so it's just one of those things that I am now glad to be able to share that, and the patrons have jealously been able to hold on to that for a few weeks here, but it is going to be going public so that it can be seen by uh, anyone and everyone listening to the stories. Uh, yeah, but it's been it's been fun, and it's <laughs> I've even made I made a I made a village for the home campaign I'm running. I made a map of the village too, so. It's a problem. It may be a problem on top of problems. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. But as a patron, it's for me, since I'm such a visual learner, right. it allows me to listen to stories and actually see them. In you know, I can't. I have a very hard time visualizing stories in my brain sometimes, and so seeing them on a piece of paper is really amazing. So well, I've appreciated. I that. think beyond beyond stories, I, to me, anything like without space is hard to comprehend. Like. So for fantasy stories, especially when it's in a completely made-up world, right? Someone doesn't have a reference between New York and California or, you know, Washington and London or or anything like that. So uh, if I'm telling a story about a made-up world, that map is vital to anyone's understanding of that world. Um, but to me, I think one of the reasons I hated history, or not hated history, but, like, just never got to it, is, like, if history had been taught to me via maps, like, these people were next to this people, and this is why this war was fought, and here's the then to me that's it's just my brain needs that that three-dimensional sort of element so i'm glad to actually be able to finally share that also with people too and hopefully if people have questions about anything now they can look at the map and be like oh there's where that is so i also enjoyed the calendar you put out that yeah that was really new i don't special. think I too like many that. people have looked at it but yeah i liked it i enjoyed and uh not out yet but and may require a little bit uh, i think the last thing that i will put out uh, that'll be a little world beating build. Sorry, not world beating. World building piece. World beating uh, is uh, a little discussion about the major gods 
uh, in the realm. Uh, we've heard Roselia mentioned and Gorion and other refuse, and those are humans, gods, but they're... Anyway, there's a thing coming on the gods as well, hopefully in the next, who knows, m month or so. That's all I got. All right. Well, I really appreciate it. I'm glad season four is over. I'm looking forward to season five already. Uh, he says tentatively. <laughs> I'm looking forward. It's always to awkward. It. I I feel like at the end of the se at the end of the season, I always like have this break where I stop writing, and then you're like, "What if I can't write again when I start back up?" Which, oh, just kidding. I yeah, can't uh, stop writing. Oh, never mind. There's six episodes. So anyway, uh, yeah. No, I'm happy it's over. Uh, season four, I think, came together pretty good we got a website out we got maps out uh listeners we're over a thousand listeners this season and i hope that keeps growing so tell a friend and if you have the opportunity to leave a review on itunes or any other places you're listening uh it really does mean the world to me i know that takes some extra time and effort to figure out how to do that but it changes the trajectory of the show and my life and all kinds of things so there you go Thank you to my wife for interviewing me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and uh, we will see you all again real soon after a one-week break. Thanks so much, and goodbye, Good night. stay safe, stay healthy. <laughs>